0: I'm Patrick your host of I and today I'm sitting down with Tim Donahue, who was a former referee who got arrested, went in the time. He opens up about what the NBA looks like today and if referees are still gambling and cheating. Me. As a big sports fan, I always followed you know, basketball, baseball, and, and sometimes when you got the referees that affect the game, you get pissed off when a referee makes a good call or a bad call, and you wonder, is there something going on here? So today we have Tim Donahue. Let me tell you a little bit about Tim Donahue's background. He refed from 1994 to 07, which is a very interesting 13-year career because during that time he refed with MJ's peak, Kobe's peak, lebron's peak Shaq, a lot of other names so we're going to get into a lot of those personalities but also there was a part where from 03 to 07 he was gambling while refereeing which ended up costing him his job and did 15 months in prison and he wrote a book we'll talk about very very interesting stories that if you're a sports fan or somebody that even is in that world you're definitely going to be blown away by some of the stories that he has so with that being said tim donahy thanks for being over Entertainment. thanks for having me yeah it's it's uh we had an interesting lunch earlier, those conversations were good, so I wish some of, the, some of it was recorded, but uh, I'm sure we're gonna touch up on some of the stories. So Tim, before we get into the whole story, the first question I wanna know when I go back and I call people around who went to school with you, I found a few guys that went to school with you who knew you when you were 16, 17, 18. I asked them, I said, how was, how was he in school? You know, and they told me what they thought how you were in school, but I wanna ask you, how, who were you in high school? If I went to high school with you, Who was Tim? Definitely
1: the class clown. You know, I I like to push the envelope a little bit and uh, have a lot of fun. So definitely the guy that was uh, trying to make everybody laugh.
0: Were you a chippy guy? Were you always a competitive guy? Were you always like, were you from a family that you had high expectations? Where was that coming from?
1: Definitely probably overly competitive. Even today when, when I do something with the kids, you know. You know talk about having four four daughters you know wh- whatever it is if we're playing a game of cards you know i want to win so uh yeah overly competitive uh you know with every aspect of uh, you know you, you play to win that's the way i grew up
0: did you play all sports or was it mainly basketball
1: mainly basketball baseball a little bit of football when i was younger but uh, the main thing that i enjoyed the most was basketball
0: and you're a pretty competitive basketball player i mean like you 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 played you actually know how to play the game
1: yeah definitely i mean like i said when when I got involved in doing something competitive, it wasn't uh, something where
0: you know second place was an option. You, you played to win and win at all costs. Is that a standard that was set by pops or mom? Was that like a family standard? Like you better compete? I, I think it's just a
1: standard. Growing up with uh, you know four brothers, everybody was competitive in the area that I grew up in. You, you just played to win. There was. Uh, no way that you know anyone wanted to come in second place where if you went home in second place you better go home with a bunch of blood on you
0: i read somewhere that you had a, a one time you came home and you had a third place trophy or second place trophy you pull down the window you threw it out because you didn't want to show your dad you were second or third place is that right
1: like- right over the walt whitman bridge you know roll the window down through it right in the water yeah. literally absolutely and you remember this oh sure because uh you know i had older brothers that uh you know had trophies you know we all lined them up on the heaters in the bedroom and you know, nobody had a second place trophy. It wasn't like it is today where everybody gets a participation trophy, you know, it was a first place trophy or nothing. So you definitely didn't want to walk in my house with that.
0: Is that competitiveness, like the part I'm trying, I I got three kids myself, so I'm just curious to know, was was it driven by somebody? Meaning, was it just because you had four brothers, you know, four of you, and obviously that's a competitive environment period, but you're in Philly, which is a very competitive sports city, all sports is competitive, and the culture in Philadelphia, especially where you grew up at, so was your dad expecting all of you guys to perform at a high level, or no, it was purely just the brothers?
1: No, no, absolutely. I mean, my dad, you know, had high expectations for all of us, and whatever we got involved in, even today, you know, when I got in, in all my trouble, yeah, we'd have conversations. I'd be like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, and he said, you know, I don't care if you have to dig ditches for a life, just be the best Ditch digger, you can be. He would tell you that. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. So, even
0: when you went through it, he still kept the same mindset with you? Yes. Yes. Wow. Was he a guy that he felt bad for you for going through it, or no? He just said, man up, take the responsibility. Like, what approach did he take with you?
1: I think deep down he probably felt bad, but no, definitely man up. You got yourself into this. You're going to have to get yourself out of it. You have four daughters, and, uh, you know, dig
0: deep and do what you have to do. Interesting. So, how does one go about becoming a referee in the NBA? I mean, obviously, you don't have a lot of referees. Like, this isn't an option where you got 200 refs, ref in a game. It's typically the same faces for a decade, two decades, some even 30 years are refereeing, right, or more. So, how does one become a referee?
1: You know, I I was fortunate that the area I was from was a hotbed for referees, whether it was college referees or even NBA referees. We had Joe Crawford, we had Tom Washington, Steve Javi. So, you know, we had a lot of people that uh, you know came from our area, so um, you know it was why just. Why is that though? Why why, why from there? I, I think what happened was, is people saw and these people were accessible in the community, and you, and you thought to yourself, "Wow, if he, if he did it, I, I could probably do it."
0: Because I guess I'm asking a question. You went to school, same school that what Ed Malloy Crawford went to. Uh, uh, Joe
1: Crawford. Joe Crawford. Malloy. Malloy. Uh,
0: Mike Callahan. I mean, that's uh, a, so. You know how you say Silicon Valley? All the technology companies come out of why refereeing there? I mean, there's refereeing going on everywhere. Is right. one guy made it and he started making money so people followed his footsteps? What was the reasoning for that? I think,
1: uh, you know, Crawford was a big guy in our area. Uh, he was accessible in the community. It's not like, uh, you know, he was some, felt like he was somebody special. He gave yeah. back to the younger referees and would go to a a park where you were reffing, uh, you know, a men's league game. and He'd show up and he would start giving you pointers. So um, he passed it down to a lot of people in that area, and it was great basketball in the Philadelphia area, so you were always refereeing uh, you know, the good athletes, so you learned a lot quicker than maybe somebody that was refereeing somewhere else. So you got used to the bigger guys and, and the hard play, and when you got in front of those people uh, that you were looking to impress, uh, you, you were ready for it.
0: So what was your break? I mean, I, I know you went to Villanova for school yourself, right? and then you were refereeing some college games, but when was your break when you all of a sudden got the offer to go into the NBA? You
1: know, what happened for me was I I was lucky because my father was a a Final Four official, did the Final Four for several years, so my last name was recognized in the officiating community. So when I started to do it, I I got a lot of breaks, probably a lot sooner than a lot of other people did. So um, it was a training process and a training program, and, uh, you know, I took it very seriously, and uh, I was fortunate that uh, you know, I made it to the NBA.
0: What was your first game? First game you ref, do you remember that? I do, I do. It
1: was uh, in Indiana, and uh, they were playing Houston. Tonight, Mihalik,
0: Rykelf, and Donaghy. And the Rockets win the tip.
1: Indiana will be Reggie Miller,
0: Olajuwon era. So right. that's a good era. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, Larry Brown, coach and tough coach.
0: Mm, uh, thousand wins, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, at the end of the game, uh, Reggie Miller makes a move, and he's always trying to draw contact mm-hmm. and jumped into somebody. And uh, I called an offensive foul. Miller over Elijah on foul. They're going to call
0: an offensive foul on Reggie Miller. Oh boy, that took a lot of guts by that young official. And boy, look at the debris come out on the court.
1: And uh, the place went nuts. Through stuff on the on the court, game couldn't be played for about 20 minutes. And that was my first game. And you know how you you always go back to your hotel room and you watch SportsCenter. Then and mm-hmm, then, then mm-hmm. and then, there's my picture. <laughs> And uh, it was funny because uh, I don't know who did it. Nobody would admit it, but you know, I had football helmets sent to my house from one of the other referees. You know, saying you're probably going to need this for the rest of your career. So uh, that was that was my first game, and it was uh, it was something I always remember.
0: What was that reaction? I mean, your dad being a referee. Did he call you saying, "What are you doing? That was a good call." Was that what, what, did you hear? Well, I, I'll
1: never forget. Darrell Garretson was at the game, and as we walked off the floor and went into the locker room, he said. Uh, We're going to find out real quick if you're going to make it in this league, because that call better be right. And uh, he backed me up and supported me, and so did Rod Thorne with the call. Looking back, probably would have been the easier call to make, would have been just to put Reggie through the line. Uh, It was one of those things that could have went either way, but, uh, you know, I called the offensive foul.
0: What did your dad tell you? Did he tell you anything when he saw you on ESPN or No.
1: No, I mean, my dad would watch the games and, you know, give me pointers here and there. But the college game was really much different than the NBA game. It wasn't. You know, in college, you refereed the rules as they were written in the rule book. In the NBA, you refereed personalities and names on the front and the back of the jersey, So wow. it, was a, it was a
0: different game. Interesting. Complete different game. Yes. You actually were one of the three uh, referees of the night when the Pacers uh, against the uh, Pistons fight took place. Right. What happened? I mean, obviously, everybody knows what happened with Ben Wallace and Ron Artest. But how did it get crazy all of a sudden? I think i guys had to stop the entire game and send everybody home. Yeah, it was
1: just bad blood, I think, from previous games. And uh, the game was pretty much decided and over. And uh, during a dead ball after a free throw, you know, they start pushing each other. And the next thing you know, we're, we're trying to uh, straighten things out and our test goes over and sits by the table and somebody, you know, throws a beer on them and then all oh, hell breaks loose. So, uh, yeah, standing in the middle of that with uh, with – Chairs flying and, and, uh, you know, Jermaine O'Neal squared up with a guy and and, and punched him. And if there wasn't so much water and beer on the floor, he lost his back foot. And I think if he he didn't lose his back foot, I think that kid would be dead because, you know, there's a guy with a lot of power just punching somebody as hard as he could. So... It was definitely scary.
0: What what made it get to the point where you're like, we have to call the game? We have to send what what was the tipping point?
1: There was just too many uh, fights going on in the stands. The floor was completely soaked with things. Who, who called the shots to say the
0: game is called?
1: Ron Garretson, who was the crew chief at that time, said, there's no way we can play this game. we got to get out of here. Someone's going to get seriously hurt. And, uh, you know, everything was just flying all over the place. So we just ran for cover. When's the last time that ever happened in the I NBA? I don't think though? it ever happened.
0: I don't think, I mean, I, I was researching how many times has the game been called? I don't think it's – I mean, in baseball games, called get called for rain, rain. Right. But you get a game called for this. Yeah, it was definitely scary.
1: Plus, Rashid was on the floor. I was afraid he was going to take a swing at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. And obviously, Ben's a big boy. Artest is a big boy. All the tough guys were all oh, in the yeah, game. Oh, yeah, I
1: grabbed Ron Artest by the jersey, and he drugged me like I was just a, an ant right up into the stand. So it was like I wasn't
0: even on his back. Yeah, it, it cost him how many games? 68 games? Was yeah, the, the rest of the year. Rest of the, and then Steven Jackson said something like, that game cost him $3.8 million, some big number, Right. with the fights that broke out in the stands. But I think the last time I saw something like that take place was in 96, 95 season when Vernon Maxwell ran up 16 rows and Ori pulled him back. I don't know if you remember that game or not. I this do. I do. Yeah, this was a long time ago. I'm like, what is Vernon Maxwell doing? Or he pulled him out and said, listen, we got to get out of here. Uh, uh, I had never seen it that bad with fans, right. but uh, it was an interesting one. Okay. So, as you're going through and you're refing and you're doing what you're doing, all these different personalities, who were some of the uh, uh, toughest guys to ref because they talk so much smack to you?
1: You know, you got to go back to Gary Payton. Uh, You know, um, Reggie Miller was tough at times because he always was trying to draw contact. He didn't know if he was causing it or if the the defender was calling it. Uh, Carr Malone and, of course, you know, Rashid Wallace was one of those guys that, you know, was always uh,
0: bickering back and forth with the referees. I guess the question I would ask is, you know the 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 level of difficulty on you because you watch the games and you see who talks a lot to the refs and who doesn't right? Mm-hmm. Who talked a lot to you that brought so much pressure to you meaning you're playing a game? You know today you're gonna be facing off with Kobe Jordan Shaq Malone allows you all these big personalities Who did you know was demanding to never miss a call on him out of everybody? Rashid,
1: because uh, even if, you know, you were right sometimes, he, he'd tell you you were wrong. So uh, he was one of the toughest guys to referee because it was just relentless. No matter what, you you knew it was going to be a, a headache the entire 48 minutes. Do
0: you have a story with Wallace?
1: I, I read about it in the in the book about, uh, you know, he he's got 25 points and they win by 30. And at the end of the game, he takes the ball. And you know, was upset with the call and bounced at the other referee who was walking away and hit him in the back. And I called a technical foul on him. And he really didn't say much at that point, but, you know, he was, he was really upset and he, he waited for me out in the parking lot. And uh,
0: he waited for you in the parking lot. Yeah.
1: Jumped out from behind a pole and and literally wanted to fist fight me. So uh, it took about 10 people to to hold him back, but he, he really wanted to kill me.
0: Like to the point of wanting to really hit you.
1: Yeah. Squared up. Fist in the air, you know, I'm going to kick your ass, you son of a bitch type you know what was your ar- reaction? My reaction was is to stand there and act like I wasn't scared, but
0: I was you know <laughs> definitely terrified yeah, he's what he's six eleven he he's six
1: eleven uh, uh, long, lengthy, and I'm sure he's been in a couple scraps in his day
0: I'm sure he has yeah he he would lead the league in technical fouls, I think every year 17, 21 right. sixteen
1: grew up in Philadelphia himself. he's so,
0: also a Philly guy. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. I do not know you grew up there. So so you, you reffed uh, for Mike, right, when he was at his peak, and you reffed with Kobe, right? Who was more demanding?
1: You know, I think with your the referees, that they, they came at you two different ways. I, I think Michael came at you in a way uh, that was, you know, more professional. He would let you know that, you know, you owed him one or he felt like you missed a
0: call. How would he do that to you?
1: Verbally? He'd, verbally. Or? He'd come up to you at a, at a, you know, dead ball or, you know, at a free throw and come over to you and just you know, whisper to you or, you know, let you know, you know, I got hit down there. What's going on? Why aren't you making this call tonight? And and plant the seed in your mind that, you know, when he goes to the basket and he misses a shot, you know, it's not because he missed a shot. It's because he was fouled. Would
0: he berate you and belittle you or that no, wasn't a No, no.
1: He, he was never really like that. Okay. He was, uh, you know, pretty professional uh, when he went after the referee. Interesting. How about Kobe? Kobe, you know, he, he was a little more adamant, a little bit more cocky about it, a little bit with the aspect that I'm deserving of it. He knew he was the best player in the game at that time. And, you know, he wanted that treatment that that Jordan got for so many years. And he let you know when he felt he wasn't getting it.
0: Did he end up getting his ways or? Oh,
1: absolutely. I'll never forget that, uh, you know, there was a game and, and these, this is one of the games where I passed information along to people I shouldn't have. Um, but Phil Jackson sent a tape into um, the league office and one of the group supervisors came in and told the referees that, They sent a tape in that said, you know, here's 25 plays in the last three games that Kobe was fouled on and the referees missed the call. They did different things to plant seeds in the NBA office in the referees' mind to, you know, if they felt that their star player wasn't getting the treatment that they deserved.
0: How often does that happen? Is that pretty common? Very common. For coaches and owners to send videos into home office for you guys to see? Not for the referees to see, no, for but the, the, for, uh, the, for the league to office see. to see, yeah. and,
1: and then hopefully it's going to be passed down. I don't think the league office wanted it passed down in the manner that it was passed down to us, uh, you know, before a game like that. But you know, that's planting a seed in in our heads to make sure we don't miss a play going to the basket with Kobe. And I knew that you know he was probably going to go to the line 20 times that night, and
0: and probably have 30 points. Is that protocol? Is that typical protocol? Like it's not frowned upon. If I'm Phil, if I'm Popovich, if I'm Riley, if I'm whoever, and I'm not happy about the way the game was reffed, and I take these three plays and I record them and I moderate it and I send it in, that's very much protocol?
1: Yeah, that's done all the time. That's done all during, the time. during the playoffs.
0: Did anybody do more than others? I
1: think, yeah, I think uh, Mark Cuban really um, started to go overboard with that and and bombard the league office with plays and, and situations where he felt his team was
0: getting screwed. I noticed one thing you said about Mark is, that most of the time his complaints he was right so he wasn't just a business guy that didn't know the game and he wasn't savvy he actually was a business guy who understood the game and when he would get upset about a miscall, most of the time he was right is that what your experience was with him
1: definitely I mean I, I personally I liked him I would always say hi to him most of the referees hated his guts because they felt that our job was made harder because of all the complaints that he did, which made us have to break more tape down and file more reports, uh, based on the fact that they wanted us to monitor, you know, our calls more, and it was because he was sending stuff into the league office and he was asking, you know, why don't the referees do this? Where's the breakdown from the referees on what's a correct call and what's an incorrect call? Was
0: there was there a trend with what he wasn't happy with, or no? Was there like a specific uh, series of three things this travel you didn't call or? This offensive file you don't call, are, you, are we gonna call the kicks with Miller? Is there any trend yet with things he I, wasn't I happy with?
1: Mark's biggest uh, gripe was, and, and he was 100% right, is that uh, there was so much subjectivity and the rules weren't being re- enforced as they were written in the rule book. So, uh, Got it. you know, and personalities came into play. So one day, one night somebody may call, uh, you know, roughhouse play in the post, and yeah. then the next crew come in and they're gonna let it go. He wanted more of a consistent whistle. From the group of referees rather than having different crews officiate different ways
0: i remember one time uh, i read somewhere saying that uh, they asked uh, david stern what is the ideal uh, finals look like and he said lakers versus the lakers right he was a big Lakers guy although later on he kind of stopped the chris paul trade for uh uh, paul gasol that one year if you remember what happened with that year was there a feeling of the commissioner favors two or three teams and the rest of us are just owners, you're not following the rulebook. Is that where the frustration was coming from?
1: Yeah, I I think so. Like you said, uh, when he he makes a comment that the the best ratings would be the Lakers versus the Lakers, the referees see that, Uh, and the referees are paid uh, based on advancement. Uh, from the first round, to the second round, the third round, to the finals, and and they know that uh, you're being graded on certain things. So, uh, you know, Bavetta would say he was the NBA's go-to guy. He was put on game sixes to, to make game sevens. And he uh, said that. Said that several times, and, and a lot of times he was, you know, uh, on a game six that helped the Lakers advance to a game seven, or, uh, you know, uh, it was a situation where Portland uh, should have won a series. The Lakers won because of a lot of the calls that he made—the uh, famous Sacramento game uh, six, where um, you know things happen at the end of the game that just seem flat out backwards.
0: Game seven, for foul. And this is a
1: call. And now Bob with the, whistle and the foul
0: on What is happening here? And here's christie on the foul once again. Kobe Bryant ran over Mike Bibby. Oh!
1: That game seven in Sacramento. His mindset was, it's another game. It's it, it's a lot more revenue, and game sevens are great for the league. And let. The Game 7 that the best team win. Of course, L.A. goes into Sacramento and upsets them. That's a year that you know Sacramento probably should have had a ring on their I finger. clearly remember
0: this. I remember where I was at. Every game I watched, I could tell you exactly where I was at. Uh, who was in Game 6? I know you were. Who else was in that game?
1: No, that's a, that's a bit of a misconception. It was Bob Delaney, Ted Bernhardt, and Dick Bavetta were refereeing that Game 6. So I think people get Delaney and
0: Donaghy confused a little bit. And that's the game where in the fourth quarter, I think Lakers shot 27 free throws versus, uh, you know, uh, the Kings shot 10 free throws or 7-4-9, I want it to be exact, and Lakers shot 27, which is insane to shoot 27 free throws in the fourth quarter. And you see the whole play that happens with, uh, from the Chris Webber offensive foul. You know which one I'm talking about. Sure. He turns, They call the offensive foul, and then a series of fouls that made no sense, absolutely made no sense, and then they lose the game. So when, when that happens... How much of that is association coming down saying we need a seven for the Lakers to go to game seven versus Nets-Kings? I'd rather have Lakers-Nets than have, you know, the the kings How much is it from the association and how much is it just pure business?
1: Well, nobody really ever comes down and says, you know, fix this game or we need the Lakers for ratings. But what they do is they'll show you plays that happen early on in the series and show you things to concentrate on. Uh, It might might be a a player in the post is too physical, he may be traveling before uh, he makes his move and they'll show you these plays and they were always for the team that was down in the series to benefit them. Got it. So they'd show you ten plays and eight of them were going to help the team that was down in the series and they'd throw two in just to not make it so obvious.
0: Did the same refs ref game seven or no? No. Is that a protocol?
1: What happens is, in when you're in the playoffs, you'll you'll you're referee Game One uh-huh. and maybe uh, a Game Four or uh, a Game Seven. So there's, you're never going to ref, uh, you know, the whole series, or you're going to be left out a couple games before you but you're there's back an in.
0: incentive for it to go game seven so I can get another game, right? Do you get oh, paid absolutely. per game or is it you get paid per game per, or it's just per a round set?
1: but we always helped the, all the games went seven games because it was more assignments for the referees.
0: So the more games you guys make more money the sure. more games it is. Right.
1: You'll get paid per round but there's extra bonus money for the airlines. Uh, you know, you, you flew uh, they I mean, that's you like, $2,500, $3,000 for an airline ticket, and yet you are flying on a free ticket. Maybe, that's, so. maybe
0: that's, a, that's an issue, maybe. Maybe the comp is structured in a way for me to have an incentive to drag the series versus not emotionally being uh, connected with it on my pocket so I'm not tempted to do something. Do you think sometimes the way the comp structure is built for refs, you are sitting here refing these guys that are making 20 $30, 40000000 a year, you're making $275, and you're like, wait a minute this is insanity. I'm on the same floor as you. I know I'm I'm the ref, but I'm only making this much money. Do you think sometimes that leads to a little bit of a temptation or no? I think it does. I think we were paid
1: very well. Uh, So, you know, the salary was good. And so was the, you know, extra benefits of the airline money and the per diem money. So uh, the top referees were making, you know, well over $400,000 a year when when you talk about refereeing into the NBA Finals.
0: What is it today? Is that the same number? or
1: I don't know if it's, it's uh, you know, going up from there or not, but uh, I'm sure it's got to be you know, somewhat uh, the same or even better.
0: 400000 Interesting to be making 400000 So Bovetta was refing that game, Kings-Lakers. Now, I'm a, I'm a diehard Laker fan, so I'm kind of glad the way it turned out because you know, that was a three-peat year for them. But still, right. I want a real game. I want proper officiating as a fan because you want to know who's really winning. You don't want to see somebody else have an influence. Didn't Danny Crawford go to MJ's camp, uh, the flight school that we, he had, and they spoke about Bavetta? What what happened there? Because it seems like Jordan had some issues with Bavetta as well. Or was it Bavetta or was it a different referee he was no, talking about? No, it
1: was about? Bavetta. I think, you know, what happens is, is every referee uh, has players they like and dislike. And every player, you know, when they walk out onto the floor, looks at the referees and knows whether they're going to get the benefit of a whistle or not and Jordan felt that he didn't get the benefit from Bavetta at times. So, uh, you know, he talked about it with Danny Crawford, who was working his summer basketball camp and getting money. So where Bavetta may not be giving Jordan the benefit of the calls, I can guarantee you Danny Crawford was because he was working that summer basketball camp getting paid. Got it. Just like when Bennett Salvatore had Jordan's sneakers in his restaurant autographed up on the wall. I can guarantee you that, you know, he got the benefit of the calls when Salvatore was on the floor. So every
0: referee, very interesting.
1: Yeah, every referee had their, uh, you know, likes and dislikes, uh, you know, with with a player and a coach.
0: So the way I see it, when I look at it from the outside, is just like some of these companies nowadays have lobbyists. You know, you see Amazon moving a part of their headquarters close to D.C. and being right next to. You know virginia because that's where the politicians and the lawmakers are was there a lot of that going on with players and refs as well like listen we gotta win this ref over we gotta win that ref over was there some that played that strategy a lot or was it an unspoken rule
1: Uh, you know relationships both positive and negative existed in, in the nba with the referees and the players referees and the coaches and the referees and owners joe crawford for example hated cuban You know, I I wrote a story in the book about him turning to Mark Cuban and literally putting his hands down his pants and playing with his junk, you know, and and taunting Cuban. Uh, He did it, you know, many times. You're serious. Yeah, to the point where Cuban had a camera focus on Crawford and and sent the tape into the league office. Unbelievable. The top guys hated Mark because they felt like he changed the structure of what we needed to do after the
0: game with breaking down tape and... Were Danny and Joey uh, uh, friends? Buddies. So they are buddies? Oh yeah. So who Joey doesn't like, Danny doesn't like, that they were so in cahoots that if you were bad with one, you were bad with the other?
1: For the most part, they were very good friends and and the bottom line is um, a lot of people, like I said, didn't like Mark because of the fact that they felt he added to our workload. You know, a lot of guys like to go out to the bars after the game and huh. and do their thing you know when mark came in it was after the game we were in the locker room or a hotel room for two hours yeah. breaking down the tape and, and sending reports in
0: let, let me ask you so you know in the business world you know a lot of companies run their priorities in different ways. for instance there are some companies in silicon valley that number one is engineer you don't mess with engineers you give them whatever they want spa treatment good treatment leave them alone they're gonna have attitudes sometimes they're gonna be pissed off sometimes do not mess with our best engineers right when you look at the nba at the top what is the level of priority who they're loyal to if you have owners if you have players if you have fans if you have referees if you have executives If Mark is complaining to the association about Joey and Danny, from my standpoint, I'm like, wait a minute, he's one of your 30 owners. You know, that's a priority. How did the association treat the most important client at the top? they bowed down to him. I mean, the, the
1: referees were a necessary evil. If, if they could have these games played without- Even the
0: association saw ab- you guys as evil?
1: Absolutely, there was always a- How come you guys never got fired though? You know, at times they did let some referees go. Who got fired? Any big names that got fired? N- never a big name that got fired. It was always, uh, you know, recently you know they paid Eli Rowe 350 grand to kind of walk away
0: from the game. You know, is he a top 10 ref in the game? No,
1: no, never anyone like that would well, ever be Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean,
0: was well, the well, NBA... look what
1: Joey did with uh, Tim Duncan.
0: And another technical foul. And this is when Duncan, he thrown Duncan out of the game. That's the second technical, which is an automatic ejection. Maybe Crawford felt he was showing him up by constantly laughing. That, that was, was
1: pathetic. That's and everyone thought he wasn't coming back. And uh, you know, he, he ended up coming back and everybody joked around that you know, he had pictures with David Stern with farm animals somewhere because they couldn't understand the fact that David Stern brought him back again after this being a, another serious problem that he had on the floor, after you know, warning after warning after warning, and they still brought him back.
0: So who is their priority? Who is the NBA's priority to protect? Definitely is it players, players first? Okay, players first.
1: Absolutely, that's the product. So the, that's, that's the product.
0: product. So number one is players. Who would you say is to, uh, fans or NBA owners? I think it would be the, the,
1: the players, the, uh, the owners, and then the fans. I mean, you, should, you saw recently uh,
0: Westbrook in Utah. I don't know yeah, if you saw. $25,000, and those, the fans got permanently banned.
1: Why is that fan being permanently banned? The fan didn't curse. You know, what did that fan do that you're going to permanently ban him? Same with, the, with Dolan in New York. The guy says, sell the team, and now he's not allowed back mm-hmm. to, to, to watch a game. What do you think about that? I think it's it's terrible. I, 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 you're there to have fun, scream and, and cheer, whether it's positive or negative. I, I just, I, I found it was absurd that they said that these fans
0: couldn't come back. You think that decision is made with front office, meaning... Did Utah's owner call front office and say, what should we do? And the NBA said, "Adam said, you better uh, permanently ban the fan from the game. Or do you think it's the team that made the decision without the enforcement of the association?
1: I think it's the team that makes those decisions. Oh, interesting. Decisions it. like so that. it's
0: left to Utah to make that decision. Yes,
1: that's, that's, I believe So it's kind of like
0: list. how the government is ran. You leave the states to run it the way they want. Federal makes a decision, and the states make the decisions the right. way they want. Interesting. And you don't agree that was the right decision? I do. don't.
1: I mean, I could see if somebody screamed or cursed or, or said something, you know, offensive with, with kids and, and women around. But uh, to me, they, they just, you know, they, they voiced an opinion. I don't, I don't understand why, you know, that was such a Well, did a major you hear issue.
0: what Westbrook said that they yes. said to him? Uh, uh, no,
1: I I believe that that wasn't the case because they interviewed the guy and they had the tape.
0: Don't they have enough audio to be able to hear what the fans said? I mean, you should be able to hear all this stuff. It's not like you can't investigate that and figure out what the fans were saying. You'd be shocked, but you my got understanding, twenty people around right, them to interview and say what, what do that, they say. They,
1: they have cameras up in the scoreboard yeah. that they can roll back things, and if somebody throws something from from a seat, they can zero in and yeah. find out who threw it. So uh, there's cameras and audio everywhere. So I would think that. could definitely determine what
0: was said so so when it comes down to a Danny Crawford Joey Crawford and an owner like Cuban what control do owners have to say who gets to ref nothing right it's all association assigning who refs what game and the owners have no say for who refs any game
1: supposedly they have no say but uh, you know there was two guys that were released a couple years ago Kevin Fair and, and Phil Robinson and, uh, you know, supposedly Mark Cuban had a lot to do with that. They were in the league 15, 16, 17 years, weren't refereeing in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, he voiced his opinion. Why are we paying somebody so much yeah. money when he's not, a, they're not talented enough to be a, so, so they
0: ended up getting rid of him. I'm sorry. I mean, if, if I am Adam Silver or David Stern, uh, uh, who would you say in the NBA is as involved as an owner as Mark Cuban is? Honestly, here's what I mean by it he's owned the uh, uh, Mavs since what? I don't know, 92, 93, 90. I don't know the exact year. I want to say 92, I think, when he bought them, give or take when he bought the Mavs. So after he purchases the Mavs, how many NBA owners do you think have attended their team games as many as Mark Cuban has? How many NBA owners? I don't think anybody. No, but I think they started to because once he started to that's, do it, they... But that's my point. What I'm trying to say is if I'm the association... I want more Cuban owners. I-, I want owners that are as involved as him. I don't want a Dolan. I want a Cuban. Because he cares, he's on the, he's in the, that's why he's involved emotionally to it. And so a Mark Cuban, believe it or not, recruits more guys like me to one day want to own a team where Dolan doesn't. Mark Cuban's a guy that says, you know what, Hey, one day I'd like to own a team like Mark. Hey, one day I'd like to own a team. Like maybe Mark said, one day I want to be as a great owner as Jerry Buss. Because Jerry Buss was the best mm-hmm. owner in the history of NBA. 33 seasons, you win 10 championships, 10 out, of, 10 out of 30. That's a pretty solid run rate you have. And now your daughter's running. it. Maybe a different story with Jim and Jeannie. But uh, yeah, when I see that, I'm like, maybe, maybe you ought to listen when a couple of these referees. So uh, do you think refs should get fired if you notice a trend? That they're taking sides like do you think refs ought to be fired and not be protected by union even the best ones
1: you know i think a ref should be fired if his percentages uh are low and and they're tracking every call every referee makes and uh they're saying that you know every referee uh has a percentage attached to their name yeah so they should get rid of the bottom five percent every year and bring in somebody else because uh the rules are clear cut they're in black and white they give you tape they show you what to call, and they, and, and they put it out there for you. And if you're not yeah. making, you're not doing the job, or if you have a sales rep that's not selling the product, how long are you going to keep that you know, sales rep? You're going to get rid of them, and that's what they should do with the referees. If
0: they're not doing their job, they should be released. Yeah, I mean, if you want me to compete in a marketplace and you're doing it based on a rule book, we're going to enforce the rule book. Right. And the part that gets frustrating is when you have an edge over me because you got seven referees that are on your side, and they're manipulating the game, they control the game, and they hate me because I'm a vocal owner, because I show up and I care about my business, and you're gonna throw me under the bus like a Joey Crawford, one out of 15. Joey or Danny, I think it's, Danny's the one right. that's one out of 15 playoffs, right. Mavs record, I don't know. It turns me off as an owner knowing I, because whoever buys a sports team has gone through capitalism, period, or somebody in their family made the money, like Dolan, his family made the money, he got the money, but they, they have gone through the marketplace, and in a marketplace, you play with the rules, and when you play with the rules, if the rules are not fair you're going to compete you have to figure out what you can do and pivot and all this other stuff so when you go into a league that there's additional games and manipulation it's a little bit frustrating uh for an owner so i can sure, i can fully understand y- you where you go he's going to
1: and, and you want to get the best coach you want to yeah. you know get the best gm to, to build your team based on the rules on how they're yeah. written in the rule book and and that, at times, just isn't isn't something that's happening.
0: How many times do you see coaches uh, being fired after having one bad season, two bad seasons? They're gone. First person you fire is who? The coach. Right. It's an easy person to blame. This guy stuck with Carlisle for how many years now? A long time. Right. A long time. And there's been some times where he could have made the decision because everybody said, he should get rid of him, change it up, bring somebody else. And you kind of see the discipline of the fact that he sticks with people. He's a great owner. Anyway, that's a complete different conversation. You know, when did it happen for you, the whole story of you all of a sudden saying, look, uh, there's a gambling opportunity here. What was that process when you got introduced to the sheep, Batista? And maybe walk us through that part.
1: You know, what happened was is uh, I love the golf. So I'm golfing at country clubs, starting to play in big money golf matches. Uh, After golf matches, jumping in the car and heading to a casino, sitting at a blackjack table, the excitement's there with all your buddies from the, from the country club, and, and it just became a situation for me where I loved it. I was playing cards in my basement, I had a big poker table in the basement, and, and every day of my life I was, you know, golfing, I was playing cards, I, I was betting on games, college, uh, football, college basketball, and it just escalated to, uh, you know, my one buddy having the Philadelphia Daily News with him, asked me to pick a couple games for him in the NBA. I had just come from home, and uh, I looked at the, the referee list of who was refereeing the games. I, I saw a couple of the guys somewhere. Maybe it was, uh, you know, an example that you were using that Danny Crawford had a problem with, with uh, the Mavs. And, and I rattled off three games to him real quick based on who was refereeing, and I went 3-0. And he calls me up the next day and he goes, man, was it that easy? And, and I was like, yeah. And not thinking really much about it. And then it just kind of snowballed. We, we started betting on NBA games. And then, you know, when, when things happened like the thing with Kobe Bryant, and I knew he was going to start going to the line because uh, they were complaining with the league office and the referees were being told that these plays were being missed, that, uh, you know, I started passing along information like that to him when, when I was officiating some of the games. So, uh, you know, I, I got up to a line and then I just jumped over it and I, and I shouldn't have been doing it.
0: And when you did, was it the moment, did you know, like, uh, the uh, point of no return? Like, you knew it was like, I am too deep. Was it the first time we were like, I'm too deep? Or no, you didn't think you were too deep No, yet? I didn't
1: think I was too deep. Then it got to the point where, uh, you know, I was doing it, and I, and I said to my buddy, you know, listen, we got to stop this. This isn't right. And we stopped. Then we just floated back into doing it, and then we stopped for good. And what I didn't know was that this guy was passing this information along to to the Sheep and to uh, another guy that was associated uh, with big gamblers, and they were making millions of dollars on, on these games. So when we stopped doing it, and the Sheep and all his people weren't getting the plays anymore, I went into Philadelphia for a game, and uh, uh, Tommy Martino, who was a high school buddy of mine, uh, you know, called me up and said, hey, listen, I'm gonna come down and see you. And, you know, they came down and they picked me up, and in the car was was James Batista, and uh, he told me that, you know, he was getting the plays for, uh, you know, years from Jack and Cannon, and, and they were making millions of dollars on it, and that he needed to get, continue to get those plays. And if not, you know, he was going to expose me to the NBA or have somebody visit my wife or kids in Florida, and it was— uh, Flat out. Flat out. So it was something that, uh, you know, we set it up, and I was to give Martino the plays, and Martino relayed them to Batista and uh, they were making millions of dollars and it was heard uh, over a Gambino wire wiretap.
0: How, how did you feel in that moment when that statement was made? Like, What was your immediate reaction or was there an immediate, oh, like did absolutely. you, I mean, you startle?
1: Sick because you know th- I'm screwed. I can't all of a sudden call somebody up and say, hey listen, this is what I've been doing for the last three years. Can you just let me go and I won't do it anymore and, and keep my job? I, I knew I was screwed. Either, either way I was done. I was hoping at the end of the basketball season uh, after giving them the pics that it was going to be over and, and we we're never going to do it again, but you know I was highly mistaken. They were never going to, you know, as a, the FBI agents say, release the golden goose. You're, you know, putting too many, uh, you know, dollars in their pockets for them to just stop.
0: So now this continues. Post that statement for how long? So he makes that statement to you if you don't continue. Right. It was have uh, to pay I, a I visit. believe it
1: was December 22nd. And it went on for the next three or four months to where they were really banging the games, and uh, the lines were going from 10 points up to 14 or 15 points because they were just betting millions and millions of dollars on it. And and the FBI agent said normally they wouldn't touch a gambling case, but it was putting so much money
0: into the coffers of uh, you know the crime families that.
1: You know, that's why they got involved.
0: This is uh, documented or off the meaning? Is it bookies uh, or or is it, uh, uh, you know, online, you know, gambling, Vegas type of stuff? How were they doing it for not to be tracked or to be tracked? I
1: I think they were doing it everywhere. I think Batista was so strung out on drugs and, uh, you know, owed so many people so much money that he was getting down uh, whoever would take his action. So I think that they were doing it everywhere.
0: Even documented, meaning yes. it doesn't matter if it was Vegas bookies. Right. I'm going through everybody.
1: And and the the word on the street now is is that uh, the people actually in Vegas, uh, you know, knew that was going on and they were piggybacking on the bets also. So the red flags were going up, but they were just ignoring them on purpose because they were they were also making money.
0: Had he already dropped your name, where he had credibility with the bets he was making, or no?
1: No, not at that point. I think that, uh, you know, it was, you know, wanted to keep it a secret, not expose it and then maximize it to the, to the best that you could do. I think as he got more strung out on drugs and he started losing money betting on other things, uh, uh, the word out now is that, uh, you know, he, he lost $7 million of people's money and they were coming after him. And he said, well, whoa, well, wait a minute. You know, I got a golden goose and his name's Tim Donaghy. So uh, back off, I'm going to get you your, your money back. Just be patient.
0: Got it. What was the biggest bet they were, they were making? Did you know the numbers? Were they telling you, or not really?
1: No, they weren't telling me. Okay. but But you know, the the, the agent said they were betting millions of dollars a game.
0: What were you making per uh, uh, per per victory?
1: I was getting two thousand dollars a a game that won
0: per cash. Cash. And when it was happening, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is an additional source of income. I mean, I can really double down with Sh- this, sure because you know i
1: i, I always like to have a big wad of money in my pocket to hit the casinos to to golf with you know uh you know standing over a putt you know sometimes we were betting 500 a thousand dollars you're know, you gonna make that putt i mean it was just uh out of control but i loved it i loved the
0: excitement of it so what role did jack play the, was was jack pre uh, uh the sheep or was he post? no jack was pre the sheep and, and jack was just
1: my my good buddy great guy uh, and, well, he was,
0: what, 6'5"? He actually he yeah, played or something played like that. played at St. Joe's,
1: a uh, great athlete and, uh, you know, a, a super guy and, you know, a great family guy. And, you know, it, it just uh, was a situation where, you know, he was to put the bets in and keep my name out of it. But what was happening is, you know, the guy that he was putting the bets in was, you know, taking that information and knowing that we were buddies and, and using that information and passing along to people.
0: Got it. When's the last time you spoke to Jimmy? Jimmy Batista?
1: Yeah. Uh, he owes me money for restitution that I paid. So from time <laughs> to time, I have to send him a text message that says, you know, where's the check?
0: So, Seriously? Yeah. And so you have, there's a relationship? It, it's somewhat of a
1: relationship or, you know, a, a, an email that I'll have to send to his attorney and him. You know, he, he's not a, a, you know, a friend of mine uh, in any way, shape or form. But due to the fact that he you know, owes me that money, there's some you know, conversation from time to time.
0: What, what is this story about Schmaga? You guys, you guys use this phrase, Schmaga, like a kid from school. And wh- what was that all about, the code?
1: Yeah, Schmaga was, uh, you know, it was a kid from Holy Cross that was uh, mentally and physically handicapped. And the Martino family, Tommy, uh, you know, really cared for this kid. He really didn't have any family members. And they took him in as if he was you know, their own son for years. And uh, we all met him, we all hung out with him, we'd take him out to eat, and he was just kind of a part of our family, so to speak, you know. And, uh, you know, the Martinos were, you know, gracious in everything that they, they did for, for that kid. And uh, we, we said that when we needed a name for a game where it was just a, a, a you know, can't lose situation. And I think Tommy said, you know, well, it's called it a Schmaga, because that was uh, Joey's nickname, Schmaga. So that's that's what that was.
0: That meant double or triple the bet that, that man, you're anything making. Anything you could do. Yeah, and uh, uh, what, what I uh, based on what I hear about Tommy, Tommy was uh, Tommy was what five four, but he was great with the ladies. People liked him. They respected him. He was strong. He'd be you, pissed off if he heard you
1: say he's five five. He's five <laughs> five. My apologies, <laughs> no, Tommy. I, if you're watching he's this, uh, he
0: uh, I, Tommy, I heard good things for what I heard from what people said no, about you. He,
1: he was uh, a good-looking kid, a uh, very likable kid. Uh, you know, and and he walked like every, he's seven feet tall. Yeah, every, he had every, every girl loved him. He was funny as could be. Uh, I think we talked about it earlier. His his cousin Paulie Martino, uh, a venture capitalist, who has a lot of money. You know, is is doing a film based on his uh, life called Inside Game, and I think it's. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it next week, but I think it's like a cross between Goodfellas and The Hangover. So get out. I of think here. it's. Uh, I so think, they're
0: going to highlight the part about refereeing
1: as well? I think they're definitely going to touch on that, but I think it's mostly, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't seen it yet about him, and, and he was a funny kid, so uh, I think it'd probably be a funny movie.
0: Are you participating in, like, are they bring you in as a consultant uh, to do anything with it? Uh, I, I may, uh, you know, uh,
1: take a look at it and, and see, make the decision after that and, and help them with some marketing on it.
0: It's interesting, you know, when you when you grow up in different cities, every city has its own culture, every city. I mean, I grew up in uh, I lived in Tehran 10 years, right? It's a different cult. When I explain people what it's like growing up in Tehran, and people say, come on, are you out of your mind? Are you freaking kidding me? I don't believe that. That's, that's Tehran. You know, I lived in Germany in a city called Erlangen, right outside of Nuremberg. It was a, a, a refugee camp. So the culture growing up, there's a complete different thing. You see different things. I grew up in Glendale, California, which is like the, the capital of Armenians around the world. If you live in Glendale, there's more Armenians in Glendale than you know, anywhere else except for Armenia. So every city has its own culture. I've lived in Kentucky, Tennessee, all over the place. What is it like, you know, the, the culture of Philadelphia in sports? Because, you know, almost everybody I talk to that's from Philadelphia, when it comes down to sports, they talk about it like it's religion. I would put Philadelphia first. I'd put Boston to New York three is the way I put. What makes Philadelphia this special when it comes down to
1: sports? Just passionate with their sports teams. Uh, it's a situation where Sunday at 1 o'clock, everyone's in front of the TV, uh, waiting for the Eagles to come on, and and I'll never forget. Uh, you know, I was dating a girl one time that was, uh, you know, not really a big sports fan. And I'm at her house one o'clock, and I'm like, you know, where's your dad? Why, why aren't the Eagles? You know, what's going on here? And it it just was very rare that uh, you know uh, you're not a big passionate Eagles, Flyers, Phillies fan, and you know it comes down to that's what everybody it revolves around. You know, the city doing well with their sports teams.
0: One of the questions I want to get into is the part about uh, being asked that uh, uh, you fixed the game. And you're saying you you didn't fix the game. They're saying you fixed the game. Uh, uh, And obviously, there was an investigation done with the FBI. Phil uh, Scalia, I want to say the last name. Scala. Scala, yeah. And uh, some other names that were involved in it. And I I want to hear your part. What is the difference between fixing and gambling? So you were convicted specifically for gambling right you were not uh, uh, convicted for anything to do with fixing the game
1: right i, I think what the the big misconception is, is is people think that i was out there calling fouls and shaq and kobe and lebron and putting them to the bench to where I was betting on the other team and winning. You know that wasn't the situation. The situation was I was taking information uh, of what the league office wanted to be called in mm-hmm. those games and who was going to be put at an advantage or a disadvantage or relationships that existed with uh, referees and, and owners or or certain players. Like you said, uh, there was a time where Danny Crawford was uh, one in 15 uh, when he was refereeing the Dallas Mavericks games. So there were times where I knew you know, Crawford was going to stick it to a, a certain team because he had problems with them. So with that information, uh, you know, that's what I did and, and, and used that information. It wasn't like I was going out using the whistle on a nightly basis to make sure, uh, you know, the bets won.
0: Okay, so but you also say that most referees gamble in the NBA. Would you agree with that? Would you say that you've made that statement? Yes. Most referees gamble in the NBA. Okay, when you say that, what are you saying? Are you saying like, $1,000 games, $500 games, $5,000 games. What do you mean when you say they gamble?
1: What I meant by when they gamble is, you know, David Stern made the famous uh, comment when when this story went down, I was a rogue referee. 2007, yeah. Legal yep. gambling will cost you your job because it was in our contract, you couldn't bet, and illegal gambling will cost you your freedom. And uh, he didn't realize at that time that, you know, probably 55 out of 58 NBA referees gambled, whether it was on the golf course, you know, we all went to the casinos, we went to the racetrack. Uh, you know, we, we did, a lot of us gambled on football games even amongst each other. So uh, I think he really had to backtrack and, and realize that, uh, you know, what he said was wrong, but he couldn't fire. 55 out of 58 referees because they they gambled, even though that's what he said.
0: Let's look at a couple of the numbers, because I know based on what I see is the NBA investigated 17 games in the 06 season, I believe, right? And out of the 17 games, if I remember this correctly, only one came where you called two offensive fouls on Collins. I'm sure you know this because you read it yourself and you've seen it yourself. And then ESPN, the magazine, went and investigated 40 games of that season And I think the breakdown on the 40 games is 10 was a blowout. And then 23 out of 30, the calls favored the people and the teams that you bet on or you you said that were going to win. So that's 23 out of 30 that favored the calls. Three of them went against and four was, uh, you know, uh, uh, it is is what it is. But uh, when you look at those rates you know, they came back with a number saying that's like 6,155 to 1, chances of that happening. And so ESPN Magazine's claim is, no, he did fix the game. He was uh, 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 pulling the calls in a direction where the people that were betting would favor them. What do you say to that when that number comes back? I mean, how do you process that yourself when you see that? Well, first of
1: all, I don't know that those numbers are true, but just let's say that they are for the argument's sake. Uh, the FBI and the NBA both did an uh, investigation going through every tape. Trust me, if, if the prosecutors could have charged me with fixing games, they would have done it. They, 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 you know, wanted me to go to jail for a long time. Do you time. think so, though? Like Absolutely.
0: Uh, t- tell me why, though. Why, why do you say that? Because my brain goes to a different place. Because when I was uh, being
1: questioned about yeah. it, they, they asked me, you know, a number of times. They were going over the tapes. And, and I think at the end of it, when they stood up in court and said that... Um, you know, a lot of my allegations didn't hold water in, in order to support the NBA when I was saying that um, certain referees were doing certain things in, in uh, playoff series. Um, you know, it, it, they said that the allegations didn't hold water. I just think if the prosecution had any say in it uh, and the NBA that I would have went to jail for a long time. I think the FBI agents who did the investigation realized that I was telling the truth at every turn. And that's why Phil Scala wrote the forward for the book.
0: You think uh, uh, David Stern wanted you to
1: go to prison for life? I think that he wanted me to definitely disappear because I think that, uh, you know, when my attorney, John Lauro filed a lot of the motions in court and started giving certain examples, it caused a lot of problems for the NBA. So I think at some point he realized that, you know, I was going to start to talk.
0: Yeah, so I'm seeing it from a different standpoint and help me process this and, and tell me, you know, if you agree or disagree. The way I see it is, you know, what happened with the NFL, Uh, when a movie came out uh, regarding concussions with uh, Will Smith. And then they showed data afterwards, numbers and families with household income above $150,000 started pushing their kids away from playing football because they don't want their kids to have concussion. This is really making sense. This is really taking place. If it did come out that you did fix the game, if it did, wouldn't that have hurt NBA's credibility and reputation if there is a referee that did fix the game? Wouldn't that kind of hurt David Stern? Absolutely, because
1: it's it's on his watch, and he's supposedly monitoring this whole thing. So, yeah, it would have been an, an
0: embarrassment black and eye, a black right? eye. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that would have hurt the game, fans, numbers, owners, volume, advertising. I mean, it would have, it would have hit me. There was Because at that time, he was running an organization. He was saying, what? When you're running a company that's a $4 billion franchise, you have to look at the profits, the numbers. You know, you have clients, you have customers, you have owners. So for me, it almost goes back to... The situation where you're saying you know Jordan would give autographed shoes to that one ref and he puts it in his restaurant or such-and-such person has lobbying with the refs to build a relationship wouldn't a David Stern be lobbying at the top with people in the government to kind of hey let this one go we'll control it from here we don't want a lot of attention for this the game is doing good the league is doing good everyone bets uh, benefits from this let's just make sure this guy goes to Uh, 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 and does his time 15 months and we'll leave him alone, he leaves us alone, he can't come back to the league, we can't, wouldn't there be a possibility of a conversation like that with Stern?
1: There was, in fact, John Laura called the league office and said, hey, listen, we would like to come in and speak with you and and go over, you know, what Tim, early on, what Tim actually did, you know, I wanted to help them, and and, and show the the cracks in their, uh, you know, cements, so to speak, and and they didn't entertain it. And then afterwards, um, you know, he, he said a lot of things and, and took my, uh, you know, retirement money away from me and, and, and did a lot of things with the restitution that, you know, made it, uh, you know, difficult for me to survive.
0: Made it difficult for you to survive, but did it hurt the NBA brand? Because if I own a team, I'm competing against 20, how many NBA teams are there right now? Is it 30 or 31? It's something like that, right? right yeah. I'm competing against 30 other teams. Okay. But if I'm Stern, I'm competing with three other teams, which is who? MLB? NFL NHL right NHL is a niche product that's a different kind of a sport right but I am competing against NFL maybe not MLB because MLB is different as well and I'm trying to make sure NBA becomes what number one right Sure. so I, and at that time you know everybody knows what happened with baseball in the 90s with the strike and all this other stuff and I, I, I don't I don't know when I watch this like when I watch it saying okay from what you tell me, if I'm an attorney, if I'm a jury, if I'm a judge, if I'm whatever I'm doing, I'm sitting there saying, okay, if you're getting two grand a pop, if you call a couple calls here and there, you may say, Pat, I'm telling you, I didn't do it. Maybe emotionally you're vested on the 23 out of 30 games. Let's say that's true. I definitely don't want that to be public if I'm stern, because that's going to hurt the league. So then it makes me go back and look at it and say, well, if that is the case, how many of the owners are sitting around saying, look, and if this is happening, because right now, look who's pissed off today, this season. Paul George. You heard Paul George just came out. He didn't even stop. Here's a guy that could potentially win the MVP this season, realistically. LeBron's out. Harden's probably not going to win it this year. Westbrook's probably not going to win it this year. Anthony Davis is definitely not going to win it. It's probably Giannis. He, he's not happy. LeBron's not happy. Steve Kerr's, Steve Kerr's not happy. Let's say LeBron's typically not happy. He's the best. He cannot be happy. He's, he is who he is. But some of these complaints they're making, you're sitting there watching and saying, look, man, I mean, it it just, is there some of it going on? So my question for you would be, do you think there's any fixing of the game going on today with any of the referees? I know you're an outsider now looking at, you're not in the circle anymore. I'm sure none of these referees can talk to you because you're probably the anti-you-know-what. You You better not be talking to, you know, uh, yourself or else. I would just assume most industries do it that way if somebody's a, former FBI guy that went, you know, whatever rogue, you can't talk to that guy because mm-hmm. if you do, you're going to lose your job with us because we don't trust you. You're talking to an outsider, loose lips. Let's just say if I'm thinking that, do you think there's anybody fixing the game today?
1: I don't, I don't think they're fixing games, but I think there's so much subjectivity still in the game. I think there's situations where relationships uh, are positive and negative and I think it's, it spills out onto the floor. Uh, Chris Paul and Scott Foster just got into it recently, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think that when Foster has the opportunity, he's going to continue to stick it to him. Uh, so Is that okay, though?
0: It's okay because the league allows it to continue to happen. So how do you regulate that? You know how NFL—here's what I like about what the NFL has done, okay? And you know where I'm going with this one. There's the uh, uh, some of the stuff that they have. You can go back through the red uh, flag and, you know, we're going to review this or we're going to do that we're going to do that. Why can't they kind of go a little bit more into that? Is it because it's going to slow down the game? Is it just going to lengthen the game?
1: I think that's where it's heading, and I think it has to be done. If you look at officiating in all the major sports, uh, name me one hockey referee. Name me name me one, uh, you know, uh, NFL uh, back judge. You c- you can't do it. The, the NBA is the only got a league that you can continually name the, the referees because there's always, point. you know, uh, they they allow they have to hire more referees and spread the games out so that the players don't see the same referees on a, a continuous basis. Yeah,
0: you lose credibility. Look at honestly, I can't stand watching boxing at all. You know, you saw it again with Triple G, uh, the first fight versus Canelo. Oh, this referee scored it seventh, whatever the score was, five. Uh, five uh, I don't know what the score, four to eight or five to seven the way he uh, they scored it. And you lose trust. I watch UFC because at least UFC, you know who's going to be winning it. There's some credibility, even though a big personality guy like Dana White is running it, which you know there's some politics involved with him because he's a power guy. You have to listen to the way he runs the show. He built an empire. I still trust the results of UFC way more than I do basketball. And even like for me, a question for you. I'm curious to know what you said about this because I saw you the other day. You were... Uh, uh, standing by the computer and TV and you were talking about what happened I think it was a Dwayne Waite call or some game it was that you were saying this one it should have been it was a Miami game I think it was I, I don't know which one it was but I just saw it the Golden State Warriors they're facing Cavs okay and it's the season where they went 73 and 9 and the whole Draymond green situation that took place when you watch that okay they call the foul I get it let's say fouls there technical foul fine do you think a one-game suspension is granted for something like that, for Draymond? Like, why did they suspend him for a game in the finals? I
1: think it depends on who was up and down in the series. I think if uh, Golden State would have been down in the series, there would have been no suspension. But, it, you know, if they're up in the series, there's a suspension. Why? Because it takes a good player away off the floor, and it allows for uh, the series to go on a little bit further. It allows for yeah. Cleveland to win a game. Uh, You know, I just think it's a situation where even Stu Jackson, who used to have uh, Vandaway's job, would say uh, when he went to suspend somebody, especially during the playoffs, David Stern would call him up screaming and yelling, and it all depend on what the situation was with the series at the time. So it was so much uh, you know, subjectivity on what the circumstance was. But that's too much politics. That is too much politics,
0: and it questions the integrity of the and game. And that's why they're always going to have problems until they figure out How a do way. you fix that, though? Because, that's a, no, because that, that's a four-peat. That's not a three-peat. And no one's done a four-peat in a long time since, what, Celtics? I think the only team that a four-peat would, was, what, right. the Celtics? So Golden State's building an empire. There's a big difference between a two-peat and a four-peat, and they don't right. even have a three-peat. Depending on if they win this year, which they have a lot of locker room issues, so I have a problem with that.
1: I, I think you have to hire more referees, and I think every year you have to get rid of the ones that uh, you know call percentages below par, and have a standard. And that way, the the players and and the fans and the owners will see that there's some turnover. But you made the doing,
0: decision, not referees, to give the
1: one game suspension, right? I mean, it's I not think like that a, came from a way above him. I don't think that that was his. So decision. Adam
0: is the one that. Got uh, I ball. think so.
1: I think you know, Stu Jackson came out and said, you know, when it gets to that point, that the you know the commissioner gets involved.
0: Yeah, that's disappointing. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's disappointing. Let, let, let's transition. I got, I got some other questions, a complete different direction I want to go into with you. And I'm curious to know what you're going to say about this. So what do you think about steroids in sports or, or PED in sports like, you know, uh, uh, GH, you know, growth hormones, steroids in football, steroids in baseball? What do you think about steroids and additional things that people are using in sports?
1: You know, I think it puts them at an unfair advantage, uh, you know, for the people that aren't doing it. So uh, I, I think it's tough that you have to really regulate it to make sure that everyone's playing under the same, uh, you know, rules and,
0: and field. Do you think they should make it legal or no?
1: No, you- I, I think that you have to make it uh, illegal because I think it sends a, a bad message to, to the kids. kids. Uh, you know, if you do this, you know, which is probably hurting your yeah. your lifespan. that, you know,
0: you're going to be able to end up like these guys. I think it just sends the wrong message. Okay, so some of these guys are coming and saying, look, I'm playing football, man. I'm getting my ass kicked, and I'm being hit by a 330-pound person. I kind of need my body to be a little bit stronger. I need a little bit of GH to be able to handle this. You don't know what it's like to be hit head- head-on with a freaking helmet that can crush anybody's skull. And, you know, this guy's on something, and I'm not, to be able to have that. So... I ask this question because it leads me to a whole different thing. You think Canseco did the right thing by coming out and telling everybody's story about who was doing what and who was doing this? You think that was the right move on his end?
1: You know, I I think he had a story. I think he was, uh, you know, fed up with the the way it was the direction that it was heading. and, And he wanted to, you know, come out and say his side of it because I think it was obvious that, you know, he definitely was on steroids and I think he admitted it. So with that, I think he just wanted to make sure everybody else knew what was going on.
0: Did it help baseball, you think?
1: I think it took a little bit of excitement out of the game because at that time, you know, it was all those home runs Mm -hmm. were flying out of the park. So I I think it kind of, it hurt it. But I I think in in the big scope of things, I think it, you know, it helped the the, the younger generation that they took that out of the game. You know, I I think that the league, to be honest with you, came uh, up with a a different way of trying to keep that excitement. and, And we all know they say that the balls are juiced now. So... Uh, you know, don't do the steroids because the ball is going to go out of the, the park, park now, anyway. So, you know, they, they came up with a different avenue to, to keep that excitement in there. So I think there's always going to be uh, uh, situations that, that fans are going to question, you know, what's being done and how it's being done.
0: As a fan, as an outsider, I don't know if you're a baseball guy or not. I'm a, I am. I, you're an all-sports guy. So did that do anything to you about the opinion of the game in baseball? Did you look at it and say, I trusted more, I trusted less? Or did you like, I really don't give a shit?
1: No, no, it it didn't matter to me either way.
0: Got it. So what do you think about Pete Rose? Does he belong in the Hall of Fame?
1: You know, I I do. I think he, you know, uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he should be judged for what he did on the field during his playing days. Obviously, he made a mistake. He's finally come uh, to the point where, you know, he said that he, you know, he did what he did. And I think that uh, he should be given that opportunity. I hope he he does while he's still here that, you know, he makes it into the Hall of Fame because I think he's somebody that... uh,
0: you know, deserves it, and I I think it would really, uh, you know, change his life. How many times has the NBA or have any owners reached out to you to want to hire you as a consultant or bring you in? I know this is a crazy idea, but has anybody from the NBA office, front office, or any sports team, I'm not looking for names, I'm not asking you to throw names here, I'm just asking, has anybody from the league ever reached out to you, considered to employ you? No. Never? No. Any NBA owners? I had had
1: conversations with one owner early on and uh, unfortunately it, it fell through and, and you know, I thought it was going to be something that I was going to do, but it didn't work out.
0: If I am the MBA and I hired you as a consultant, what could you bring in value to the NBA? Would you be able to identify areas where the uh, uh, integrity of the game would be going higher? Would you be able to help them out or Uh,
1: absolutely you have to look at it from a experience and referee perspective of what referees are doing on the floor who they're talking to during timeouts before the game who they're laughing with uh you know and and all that from a perception wise other referees uh you know uh will pick that up because they know maybe this guy's you know getting in a position to try and get a call You know, uh, other players will look over and see, why is he talking to that guy and he's not talking to me? An owner or uh, a coach will look over to timeout and say, why is he talking to that guy and not talking to me? And then what happens after that uh, series in the next couple times down the floor? Did they get a call? Do you go back to why he got that call? Did he, because he had conversation with him? There's just a lot of things that you have to look at uh, in regard to- How about the other side? Would a sports team benefit from hiring you? I think I could show them uh, the mistakes that the referees are making or, or what they're calling so that they could uh, go over that in practice in, in regard to prepare for certain referees and what they're calling or look at the league office and see what they're, they're telling the referees to call and make sure that their players are, are doing the uh, things the right way and, and enforcing what the referees are being told to call, to call it. So, it changes from every every given night, they have a web page and they're sending out plays to these referees and telling them to call these certain things. And How
0: big of an impact could you make points-wise per game? You know, I
1: think that, you know, we talked about this at lunch, I think there's no doubt, uh, you know, if, if you know the tendencies of the referees and, and you know what they're calling, that there could be a difference of two, three, or four points if you are aware of not doing what they're going to call.
0: You take four points times 82 games, that's 328 points, something like that? That could cost you like three, four, five games. That could be eight, playoffs, sixth, you know, eight spot, 10 spot. I mean, that's, we're not talking little numbers here. So my follow up for you would be this. Would Adam Silver be okay if I, one of these sports owners hired you as a consultant? I think that there would be a problem. I think that
1: uh, early on, I, I, I was gonna have a job with one of the owners. And I think that he basically was told to stop talking to me. That,
0: that's my personal
1: opinion. I, I don't know for sure, but.
0: So do you know who Frank Abingale is? I do. So, what do you think about Frank's story? A uh, great story. I remember the movie uh, um, with the FBI agents yeah. with, the, with the money, right? Yeah. Yes. He's the guy that uh, had eight different identities. He was a surgeon. I think he was a pilot. Uh, I want to say he was a lawyer. Then he would go to the banks and get checks, all these weird things he would do, right? And eventually, the FBI finally said, what the hell is this guy doing? He went to prison, I think, for five years. And later on, the federal government hired him. Because if he knows how this works... Man, we are gonna be able to catch everybody else. Do you know Joseph Kennedy's story? He's the market crash guy on what he did and how he manipulated the stock market and made all this money, he would make it go up, make it come down. Do you know who finally hired him? FDR. you know what position he got? He ran SEC. So think about, the, like. this is like you're going after the biggest market manipulator and you're hiring him as a president to become the guy running SEC. He ran it, because he knew what everybody would be doing. And then FDR was able to clean up the financial industry with the manipulation was taking place. And this list goes on. This isn't just these two names. There's you know, other names you can look at. So Joe Kennedy, Frank Abingale, you know, there's a lot of guys that come in. I think from an outsider looking in, if Joe Kennedy gets hired by FDR, if FBI and the federal government hires Frank Abingale, if you got, if you got these kinds of things going on, what about if Adam Silver... Uh, uh, or somebody came in and said hey we're gonna make a call to uh, this is gonna be weird it's gonna be strange people can think we're crazy but we are hiring Tim as a uh, consultant and he's gonna come in and he's gonna do XYZ to clean house and kinda show us stuff that uh, he can help out in this area w- what, what would you think if you got a weird call from front office or somebody said listen we would like to talk to you uh, uh, about possibly bringing you in but here's some of the arrangements. Would you even entertain that idea?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean you, you talk about uh, you know my love of basketball and growing up and, and, and making it to the NBA, uh, I'd be foolish not to you know want to entertain that. but I, I don't think it would happen with the NBA. Uh, you know, possibly maybe one of the other sports leagues. I think it would be an opportunity or uh, maybe um, you know an individual team, but I just don't think the NBA would do that just based on the black eye. And rightfully so, that I that I did and I, and I put on the league. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be waiting for that phone call, to be honest with you.
0: And neither from the teams?
1: I, I think it's a possibility one of the teams uh, in the NBA, but I think it would be something that would not be publicized, that it would be, you know, behind closed doors that I could break down tape and, and look at calls. I know there's been some retired referees that have done that for, uh, you know, a lot of the individual teams.
0: Just by sitting down with you and having a conversation, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I mean, I would want to know that as an owner, especially if I'm in a smaller market guy, not even the bigger market guys, because the bigger market guys, they don't need it. They already got the favoritism going for them, right? I mean, the NBA wants who in the finals today? If you think about it, who does the NBA want in the finals this year? You want Golden State against who? Boston, Yeah, Boston or Philly. That's who you're going to want, right? right? You're not going to want to run Certainly not Milwaukee. Certainly not Milwaukee in that market, right? You're not going to want Milwaukee because in one way, if Milwaukee wins. Giannis is staying do you really want Giannis staying in that market or do you want Milwaukee losing and Giannis going to an LA or Giannis going to a different Dallas market you know I don't know if I want him to stay over there but I don't know I I just look at it from the standpoint of if this is a game of having edge if Bezos goes out there and hires some interesting people to give him an edge former FBI agents you know former people like that why are you hiring former FBI agents for what you know but what's the reason behind that and he runs a trillion dollar company if I'm the NBA, here's how I would notice it. I would hate for a documentary or a movie to be made about your story. So let's just say somebody sees this, because, you know, these interviews, sometimes they see it like a Michael Francis was on our show, ended up getting 10 million views between a couple interviews. One uh, was 6.2, another one's like 2.2, and one in Russian is like a million, and then all the other stuff. A&E contacted him, show in Vegas, all this other stuff. I I would, (laughs) if I'm the league, I am much more excited about hiring you then allowing somebody from Hollywood to reach out to you and make a movie about this, like Concussion. Because I think that movie is going to hurt the NBA more than the NBA hiring you and signing a 10-year contract with you as a consultant to keep you in as long as XYZ stuff you agree to. That would be my move. I, I need you as my agent. I would make a hell of an agent, <laughs> but I want a company. But that would mm. be my approach. So let's do a uh, lightning round and then we'll wrap up and we'll talk about the book and we'll send it off. So I'll give you some names. Just tell me what you think about it. First word that comes to mind or whatever thing you want to say about him. Okay. First one, one of your best friends in the world. David Stern. Arrogant. Okay. LeBron James. Powerful. Ron Artes. Funny. Really? Michael Jordan. The goat. Wow. Phil Jackson. Sarcastic. Popovich.
1: Miserable. (laughs) Why do you say that? I just think he, I've never met somebody night in and night out that could be so miserable. It it just, it it was never a smile or, you know, in in a good mood. It just seemed like it was, no matter what, whether he was up 20 or not, he just seemed. Interesting. Joey Crawford. That's a tough one. Good guy.
0: What was the first three words you thought about before he said good guy? That's what I want to know.
1: It's tough, but he, you know, to be honest with you, he's, he's a giving guy to the community and he, and, he, and he really gives back and, you know, would take the shirt off his back for people.
0: Danny Crawford.
1: Uh, talented. Bovetta. Shady.
0: <laughs> okay. Rashid Wallace.
1: I'm trying to think on the floor or off the floor, but on the floor, nuts. Rick Mahorn. Great guy. Adam Silver. Different because I really don't know him. I just know him from what he does now. But I think it's a different take on on what David Stern was like. So better or worse? Better, much better. I think you know, professional, likable, uh, seems to want to
0: just do things the right way. Interesting. Jack Nicholson. Funny. Funny. Okay. Uh, And then that's about it. Those are the names I have for you. Well, so look, if you thought today's interview was interesting. We haven't even gone into like 50 stories in here. He had an incident one time with Barkley in the locker room with, I mean, you just have to see what happened there. A couple incidents with Jordan and Phil Jackson, which was pretty epic, and a lot of other stories. If you're an NBA guy, you want to hear it from his perspective. But, you know, one of the things you were telling me about, why don't you talk a little bit about Ref Picks. Tell me what this Ref Picks website, RefPicksPicks.com, right?
1: Right, so it's a website for people that gamble casually. Obviously, hopefully, nobody has a problem. We basically guide them through the uh, the pitfalls of uh, you know traps to stay away from, and and I put out NBA picks based on the referees and the relationships that exist. Literally, so if you're uh, you know into into betting on the ball games as a, a form of entertainment, you know we guide you through uh, you know how to hopefully be a winner and not a loser.
0: With that being said, Tim, thank you so much for coming out here Appreciate and being a guest it. on Value Thanks for having me. Truly, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening and by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already and if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick VidDavid and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.